back corner <laughs> when I'm not presenting. Listening in. And listen in. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Bash University Live here on Tuesday night. Take a quick break. Watch John Cruz's on the Tokyo rig. Be a part of the show. Get some chances to win some awesome prizes. As fast you go. You know, we didn't have that back then. And, 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 dude, it, it could just... That text thread gives me so much energy. I mean, like I'm dialed. Welcome to Bash University live on a Tuesday night. Really enjoy uh, doing the show and talking to all you guys. And, and we get so many great conversations with all of our subscribers around the country that watch the show. Download the podcast. By the way, uh, we are available via podcast uh, wherever you get your, your podcast. Go download it and listen to it. Listen to it at work. You have my permission. Uh, get after it. We're going to have a uh, a great show tonight. I'm, I'm really excited about tonight's show because uh, three of the Bashu family have done extremely well, and I'm so proud of them. Uh, they're going to the All-American uh, for the BFLs. They qualified uh, just this past week, and uh, it, it's great to see. We're going to have them all on the show tonight. Uh, we have Matt Henry. We have Alabama Mike Reed and our own JK, professional fish head, Justin Kimmel, they've all qualified and are going uh, to the All-American. It's been a year of the BFLs here at the Bash U. Uh, we've, we've all participated at some level and had a blast. We've uh, inter the, the BFLs are the working man's tournament trail. It's, uh, it, it has a tremendous um, participation. Over 30,000 people participate in the BFLs this, in this past year. At least that's the, the number that I, that I remember. We're, we're going to have Daniel Fennell on, who is the director of the BFLs. He's going to be able to give us all the real numbers and what's happening there over in that organization. It's, it's been great. I fished it back in the Operation Fast days um, wow. and the Red Man days and now the BFLs. And it's, it's, been, a, it's been a true uh, weekend anglers, weekend warrior tournament trail the best of the best uh battling on their home bodies of water it's it's been it's great com competition i had a blast fishing it this year and uh excited excited to have tonight's show so uh so here we go i see jk you're you're on already with with me and uh man congratulations what a great accomplishment oh man thank you so much i can't stop smiling and you know why it's not just because we accomplished what Hardly was the goal when we set out this this year fishing as a co-angler again, and uh, somehow we're sitting here, but somebody needs to pinch me because a couple of my best buds made it too, and just to get to be a part of that is just can't help but smile, but dude, you are the uh, the motivator, man. You had a heck of a season too, you know. you It was a narrow miss on your regional, but uh angler of the year i know we've talked about it a little bit but uh, we haven't talked to you since your regional you still had a great tournament and you know just you really helped motivate me you you had a great summer you know something i'll say real quick is 
my health was down. You know, when I got sick this summer, I wasn't in fishing shape. It was hard for me to mentally get back. And you riding your little hot streak there every time you're going <laughs> fishing, man, it was just so helpful and motivating for me to get back in the right mindset to get, you know, to, to get back there for the regional. And, you know, it was a heck of a weekend. So thank you so much, man. Oh man, I, I appreciate it. Thank you. I, I wouldn't be fishing the BFLs if not for your, your nudging and, and, uh, and, you know, provocation. It was, uh, you know, you got me and Riz fishing them last year and, and I jumped into them this year, had a blast and, and it was great, you know, finishing where I finished and, uh, getting that accomplishment really wanted to get out there to the all American, never been, never been. It's my first full year in the BFLs. I, I wanted to go and, uh, so many of the great anglers, and it's amazing, you know, uh, we have a list we're going to go over today. How many anglers that have won the All-American that have gone on to fame and fortune in the bass fishing world? It, it really is the who's who uh, in fishing. So a, a lot of tremendous anglers have done that. So it's, it, it's uh, but would, we'll do it again. Maybe next year we'll, we'll see it happens. A lot of fun. I love doing it. And, uh, and uh, we'll see. Maybe we can drag... Uh, BTC and the Riz. I know Riz started out with us this year and uh, and decided to go in a different direction. But I, I kind of think that Rich has got his sights set on the whole season next year. What, what do you think, there, Riz? Richard, you know, uh, I think that would be very accurate, Pete, because uh, <laughs> one being at the uh, regional uh, this you know a couple weeks ago when you were competing, it was great to be down there to to talk with the anglers and you know uh, kind of share what the Bash University is all about. But I'd be lying if I said that wasn't a little bit of the kick in the pride uh, to be there working and not fishing. So, uh, yeah, you, you can bet that, you know, next year I'm going to want to be in the dance. I'm not going to want to be on the sidelines. So, <laughs> I love that. I love that. I, uh, I, I felt the same way when I, I had to work my first classic. And, <laughs> you know, I made I made the classic and then I had to work it the next year. And it was it was like, oh, my God, I just got to get back into that championship tournament again. And uh, and I know you you would have done it this year had you fished through the full season. So uh, mm -hmm. we, we'll, we'll look for some big things uh, from you, you know, in, in the next season. Maybe BTC will come along and fish with us a little bit. What do you think, man? Yeah, probably not. <laughs> come on. <laughs> <laughs> I know where I make my money and where I lose my money. So. <laughs> fish is uh, expensive. Oh man! Well, you know, I tell you what, the BF the BFLs are a, a reasonable expense compared to some of the other tournament trails out there, and um, th that much I, you know, I appreciate it. It's funny, just on a sidebar, like I fished the opens. Listen to this: I fished the opens and I fished the BFLs. Did pretty good in in both, and my profit margin was extremely way higher in the BFLs than it was in the opens or the Toyota series. Just there you go. How about so, it? How, how about it? How you like yeah. them apples? <laughs> have, have some of that. But uh, <laughs> hey, what's going what, what other? I wanted to ask Rich. I didn't get a chance to talk to you. I know you fished on the river yesterday. Uh, what went down? Um, you know, Pete, it was uh, typical Delaware river fashion, uh, you know, for me and what we've all experienced in the, you know, here today, gone tomorrow type of scenarios, as far as the size is concerned, uh, mm -hmm. caught a lot of fish, you know, had a limit early, quick in the morning. Um, but those, uh, those bigger fish kind of, kind of fleed the area for me, uh, anyway. 
Um, you know, there was a, a there there was a, a really strong Delaware River bag weighed in by one of our uh, good buddies, Keith Cowan, uh, put together almost a 14 pound bag uh, by really running and gunning all over that river to uh, to make it happen. Um, and uh, yeah, so you know, things didn't really shake out for me in the event, but uh, fishing's all about learning and adapting to uh, to the to the scenarios and current conditions and. We'll uh, we'll get back out there and figure them out before the season's over. Well, I know you will. And shout out to Keith, man. What a bag! And I know he does at this time of year, especially man. He's a killer out there on that river, getting those big bags when when the fall comes on. Luckiest guy yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> no, Keith is Keith is damn good. He just is. He doesn't fish out there much. He complains the whole time, and uh, <laughs> he fishes it three times a year and, and wins two of them. You know and. And uh, no, he, he he catches them, man. He just I don't know. He's got a knack. Some people got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he sure does. And you were you were active. You were you you were chunking big yeah, giant on the other side of baits. winning. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and now for something different. <laughs> for something completely different. Well, now for something completely different. <laughs> That's right. Uh, yeah, I fished, well, I, I fished with Keith Thomas. If you guys watched the show uh, two weeks ago, uh, the big bait show we had, he's he's a buddy from Pennsylvania, and I fished with him in, in a in an open and uh, or actually it was a championship event, and his son, who he usually fishes with, had to work, uh, so Keith rang me up. I jumped in there with him, and uh, it was just you know it's funny to see how good the river fished um, because I know the big reservoirs. Uh, I know at least three of them that had events over the weekend fished really, really, really tough. You know, the, the, the high pressure, the barometric pressure rising up and whatever other conditions, it, it was just tough, man. They were, they were, they were hitting funny. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's bold though. I love that, you know, swing for the bleacher strategy that you, you guys went after that day. And, uh, um, yeah, that's, that's that was mostly that's him way to go after a tournament. Yeah. You know? I mean, that was him. He was throwing the big bait in front of me and, I was relegated to a stupid Senko behind him. <laughs> and <laughs> we wait, saw wait, some giants, wait. man. We saw some giants. You, six, you about six or seven. Sinkos? What's that? You have Senkos? Dude, I got a ton of Don't Senkos. Don't let Brian fool you. All right, I'm going to air this wait, wait, wait. out right now. All right. Go, bring, go it, ahead. bring it, Riz. Don't, don't let. It. I have a picture of what happens to Brian Senkos. I'm pretty sure I can. Yeah, because that's a giant up. box full of Senkos. That's like my third box. <laughs> This is what happens to Cinco's when they don't get used. <laughs> oh, they get crusty. Yeah, yeah. All the salt jumps out of the Cinco's and into the bottom of the box. Right. So PTC, when you're throwing a Cinco, it's a saltless Cinco. Well, that's that's they're the bad colors. That's, that's they, they that's were in like that the, box. That's and, like the B team. That's the that's yeah. the the ones that don't get pulled out of there. But don't let Brian fool you. All right, this guy will. He, You'll, you'll pick up a Senko, and you'll throw a Senko. I've seen it happen. I try. I was not out to. there on Mike's Lake. We were fishing before a live show. We probably made the live show late because we were fishing, and I'm out there throwing a frog, and he's waxing me on a Texas-rigged Senko. Right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you got to do what you got to do. I don't like it. You know what I mean? I definitely I, I know that it set fishing back on its head at least <laughs> 20 years, you know? And um, – but, but <laughs> well, I just, you know, some of you guys may know this, but I finally found a use for my drop shot rod. Um, and <laughs> hand it to your guy it, client. It, <laughs> it, it, 
it was it was on water training trip that took place yesterday and uh the um you know the conditions were such that we one of the guys threw a drop shot so likes to throw a drop shot so i i gave him the drop shot rod which you know i had to unwrap it from the package it was in <laughs> and, um, yeah we uh we ran into some tricky situations and uh and he went he went head over heels right into the upper chesapeake bay <laughs> and, uh, what? and 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 my drop shot rod went in with him and there it lies on the bottom of the chesapeake bay so i finally have a your client <laughs> for the rod <laughs> we were able to rescue him uh okay. and get him back in the boat uh, easily it was we're all we're all you know we we laughed about it after the fact but it was a little little sketchy there but uh so anyway i have no more drop shot no more drop shot rods so uh i guess as it should be for me. <laughs> 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 we have something in common pete i uh both my drop shot rods i had two uh they're on the bottom of my favorite point on lake hartwell so we've got something in common <laughs> we, we don't have drop shot rods <laughs> <laughs> uh did you kick them in did you fall in oh dude we weren't running we i wasn't fishing i uh i'm the idiot i uh, was spot locked down because i was on a group of fish and uh i needed a i needed a rod that wasn't out and of course there was like 15 rods on top of my rod locker and i didn't want to move all 15 real quick that you know it takes five extra seconds and I thought maybe they'll just kind of just do the whole. They they usually do. Uh, yeah, they usually yeah, do. Yeah, they're kind of turn over. But no, I knocked six of them in. Uh. I put half my body, half my body in the water, got four back, and there went my favorite rod combo that won me the all American. Oh no! The regional. You know, it was a Revo MGX, like the Japanese version. So it was like a. It was like a six hundred dollar combo, oh, <laughs> and no. she's gone. She's gone. She was so smooth, man. I caught so many good fish on that rod, and wow. don't have man. That's well, hey, I'm glad my aren't here yet because they'd be ribbing me because they know that's just common. <laughs> There's a quick way to 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 not have that happen, and I picked it up. <laughs> I picked it up from Ike. You just grab all your rods right in the center. Just, just, just like gorilla grip them, put them into a cluster and forty-five them in front of your forty-five degree angle in front of your rod box. Pull your rod box open, grab the rod you need out, grab them in the same spot you grabbed them before, and just put them right back into that spot. But it's the fastest way I've found them. Not moving them to the center of the boat. Just grab them all right in the center, forty-five degree angle in front of the box. Grab what you need. Slide them back on. My my rods would become so entangled. I would spend the, the <laughs> next seven hours of the tournament trying to get them undone. But Mike, nope. Like you said, Pete, he just like somehow just like ah, angrily shake it, and the other ones just jump off. <laughs> they, they, they're like, oh Christ, Mike's getting mad at this. We better we better untangle. <laughs> we'll end up broken or something. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's true. You're right, BTC. They're scared, man. They they, they won't hang up on purpose. I don't know how he does it, man. I've seen it. He'll grab the he'll grab the drop shot rod with the leader wrapped around all the others on the bottom of the pile, and somehow it's, it comes out on scale. Oh, <laughs> and it comes out. Yep. And he still gets a cast off before me. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, uh, hey, guys, uh, if you're not a subscriber to Bashy, we met so many people that are at the BFLs this year. I'm so uh, thankful and proud to see you guys wearing the Bashy colors out there. Amazing deal going on right now, $35 for a three-month subscription, and we give you a $25 Tackle Warehouse coupon. Go get yourself signed up. Give it a try. Now's the time to study up. Uh, it's it's the season, so get yourself subscribed to Bashu TV, and we're going to give you guys a lot of great prizes tonight. Riz, what do we got going on? That's right. As always, Pete, we uh, we got some awesome prize packs going out the door from our awesome sponsors at the Bash University. Uh, for some questions tonight, there's going to be $25 Gills Gear uh, gift cards uh, getting sent out. Um, also, there's going to be a grand prize uh, at the end of the show. That's going to be a Ken Duke trivia question. Oh, we uh, have we're, several. We're, we're, bringing, we're bringing that back out tonight for the big guns. That's going to be a $100 pack. And uh, also, there's going to be a Facebook like and share as well uh, for a $50 prize pack. So if you're over there watching on Facebook, we're going to take care of you, too. Be sure to like and share tonight's feed, and you'll be entered in for a chance to win. But, guys, really the juice is going to be getting your questions on the show and getting a chance to win that grand prize at the end. And right now is a great time to sign up. Only $35, you get three months to Bash University TV. That's over 900 videos, all with one goal in mind, to help you catch more big bass. And when you sign up right now, we're giving you a $25 Tackle Warehouse gift card for signing up, guys. So we're giving you the content. We're giving you the Tackle Warehouse gift card. We want to help you catch more fish. Come on over. Join the family. Awesome. Guys, we're going to take a quick break. Stay tuned. We've got a trio of All-American qualifiers that are going to be uh, talking smack, how they did it, where they did it, uh, and, of course, we'll be able to ask them any questions we want to. So uh, come back with us. We'll be right back right after this, uh, unless BTC, what do you got? <laughs> and we also have, right after them, Daniel Fennell, the director of the BFLs, coming on. Big guest. Absolutely. Yes. And, uh, yes, sir. He will be, we'll be talking about next year's schedules and all the other great stuff that it's coming down the pipe. Yeah. There's uh, so many people that participate in the BFLs. And uh, so we'll be talking with Daniel uh, shortly thereafter that. So hang in there with us. We'll be right back after this. Aquaview, the leader in underwater viewing technology. Find what you are looking for. Catch more fish. Have more fun. Aquaview. Seeing is believing. Why do you love catching fishing rods? I'm truly losing less fish. Is the sensitivity of the rod. That's made right here in North Carolina in the USA. Strongest, lightest rod. 100% made here in Sanford, North Carolina. From the drop shot rod to the flipping stick. Every rod has a purpose to it, and I rely on them all the time when I'm out there in a tournament. Durability in the John Cruz Worming Series, the counterbalancing in the handle. It's the only rod I've found that can withstand my hook set. Boom, goes the dynamite. We're different. Some would say obsessed. There's no place on earth we'd rather be than right here, right now. Performance-driven gear, so you can fish longer, harder, 
Gills Performance Fishing. Guys, 2021 Redcrest Champion Dustin Connell here. And if you watch live coverage, we just got done at Lake Eufaula. I caught my fish using the active target with Lowrance. What you didn't see is I run a sea clear power harness in my boat. One of the main advantages to running this harness is it does not drain my batteries down at all running my four units. And what that's gonna allow me to do is I'm able to see my bait at 8 a.m. just as good late in the day. Y'all check them out at seaclearpower.com. everybody welcome back to bass university live and uh what what an exciting night uh the Basham family has done well this year they've all participated in uh in the bass fishing league over at major league fishing and we have uh we have a bunch of qualifiers for the all-american and um it's pretty impressive because a lot of guys have been fishing the bfls uh for a long time and not had the opportunity to qualify and not made it um it, it's it's really an impressive accomplishment we were talking about it a little bit earlier the winners of the all-american have gone on to greatness uh fame in the in the bass fishing world it's some of the who's who in bass fishing and this is where a lot of them did where a lot of them got their first major win is here at the all-american so uh so let me introduce these guys a lot of you know justin kimball jk professional fishhead he's going to the all-american this year and, and JK, I'm gonna I'm gonna read some of your stats. Uh, he's got seven BFL wins, one of which was this year, including three top tens this year to get him into the divisional as a boater, and is just really had a tremendous win this year. So proud of him. And um, and there's a lot of other notes here that I'm not you something about a lucky horseshoe sideways stuck somewhere. Um, <laughs> has a local reputation, but he's a tremendous angler and and wins a lot, has won a lot as a co, decided fish boater this year and is just tearing it up. His team tournament partner, his buddy, uh, Matt Henry, is, uh, you know, just a bit third in the points this year, two BFL wins, 14 top tens, three of which came this year and uh and is and made it to the all-american matt it's great to have you with us tonight Pete. and uh and then we've got our boy alabama mike reed who's been with us at, at all the bassmaster classics a lot of you guys might recognize him he's big smiling uh southern draw of uh, you know guy that's just so happy to be around always a great attitude i love that about you mike and man what a great year five five uh what is this five out of 19 top tens Oh, in thanks, BFL Pete. I'd really pretty all fuss, cuss, and disgust this, that, and the third. Thanks, Mike. Yeah. What is what is that? 19 top 10s, Mike? Is that right? No. He's only fished 19 BFLs, and five are top 10s. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty – That's those are pretty good stats, man. That's the top. And um, 20th in the points in the Cowboy Division and almost won a Bassmaster Open. He's no stranger uh, to being in the winner's circle and around it. And is going to the uh, going to the All American. So congratulations, Mike. Hey, thank you, Pete. It's uh, it's been a blessing this year. You know, it's my first year fishing the Texas Division. Um, and let me tell you something. I fished all over this country. Um, you got to bring it to Texas, man. Uh, <laughs> it's just I, I've never fished a BFL that you know. The very first one we showed up to, I think, had like two hundred and sixty boats in it or something. It was ridiculous um Holy but i mean that's look. every tournament in texas right 
Well, uh, you know, and we get that. Most of our subscribers that are watching and listening to us right now are from Texas. Uh, Texas is is one of the bass fishing capitals of the world. And and it's a testament to you, man, because you're out of your element. You know what I mean? You you're you fish all over the country and to be able to be su successful in that part of the country, which you weren't that familiar with. Man, that was a job well done. Well, thank you. And, I, and you know, Bash U, man, is, is a big player in that. You know, I, I spent a lot of time. I spent a lot of time learning from the guys that do well down here, you know, and even if it's not a technique and I'll tell you that, you know, the subscribers out there, you don't have to, like, if I plan on doing a technique, I don't necessarily watch only the shows that talk about that technique. I watch the guys that like grew up on those lakes and they don't care what technique they're talking about and just get the, you can get the little nuggets, you know, mm -hmm from the guys that come from these areas and fish lakes like that. And I really pick up a lot of stuff that way. You, mm. you know, they let little secrets out that they almost don't want to talk about in different seminars. You know what I mean? And I can put the, I can add them all together. Yep. I heard that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's funny you say that because Jeff Olson, our, our, our production head of production over here is, uh, was just listening to Brian Latimer. Uh, Jeff just moved our production studios down to South Carolina on the banks of Lake Hartwell. And, uh, and he's learning how to fish Lake Hartwell and he's studying BLATS uh, seminars from Lake Hartwell. And him and his wife both are, <laughs> are watching the videos. They want to, they can't wait to, to become better fishermen on Lake Hartwell. So it's interesting that you say that because I think a lot of people, uh, do that you know follow their local angler or their favorite angler and we have met bash you know no matter where you live we've got guys that specialize in that part of the country and yeah. uh but it but it's great it, it man it's it's so awesome that you made it and uh can't wait to cheer for you and i i gotta be honest one of one of the funnest parts of um my day when i'm not fishing is following the updates from guys on the that i know are fishing like jk uh will give updates sometimes riz will btc will sometimes and uh and i was getting updates uh from you jk uh throughout the the week down there and it was just it was amazing man it was it was so awesome to watch your weights get cold and and move <laughs> up and up and up man what what a what a great ride you started out you crushed them and uh and and basically you you did what you needed to do to 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 make it in man that was a great week yeah thank you man it was uh just this whole experience you know was 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 testing you know it was very challenging week you know um i'd been to the st john's maybe three times and to to go there and accomplish the goal of you know being an all all american was uh it's just a dream come true, you know, being there, experiencing it, having success, winning it as a co-angler is one thing, but with, you know, the MPFL on my plate, you know, next year. And, you know, I'm, I'm not like you. I don't have all this tournament experience. I get to fish maybe one tournament a year that requires a whole, you know, full three to four day practice ahead of it, you know, and it's a multi-day event. And to, to go do that and have success is just a, big shot in the arm of confidence you know that as it, sh as it should be you know so 
it 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 was a it was an awesome awesome week and i learned so much you know i can't wait to go on another title fishery you know i really can't well you were on the amazing one and jack and giants and it was so cool to see those pictures man and uh and Matt, Matt, uh, you know, we, we don't know each other very well. I know you mainly uh, through Justin. And uh, and it's awesome, you know, talking about the buddy tournaments that you fish. And uh, and it was – I'm watching. I'm watching the way in progress, and I'm watching you hold on to, to 10th place on day two, you know. Mm-hmm. And and the way in's concluding. And I, and I know Justin's got a bag, so he's going to – He's gonna threaten. I'm like, oh man, you know, we got we got to get Matt in there, and and you yeah. did. You you qualified in the 12th place, and it was really cool to to see you do that. And then you come in with just a monster stringer of fish on the last day. What a clutch performance, man! Congratulations on that. I appreciate it. That was that was a special day for sure. Um, has uh, made it even more special to be able to to make it uh, with my with my longtime team partner and one of my best friends, you know, it's just, it's been, uh, trying to make that all American. It's been one of a very, very difficult task for me. It seems like I've always had roadblocks and things go wrong. And, and I honestly, I was very upset on day two. I had, I've had missed opportunities on day one and day two. And, and, uh, I, the demons started creeping in again. I, I really thought that, you know, we're going to miss it by a couple ounces that we were, Last time we were at the St. John's River was in 2018, and and I got on a similar deal down there in 2018, and I missed the final day cut by it was either two ounces or four ounces, and riding back into weigh in on uh, day two this time, I, I I was like I'm gonna be a fish short. It's just gonna happen once again, and it was a grueling hour hour and a half sitting in the truck <laughs> in the parking lot watching the weights. <laughs> And then adding it up and knowing that I was like, I know Justin's going to have them. I know, you know, this guy's going to have them and the whole deal. I was looking, I was like, man, if anybody hops me, I'm done, you know, and, and, uh, you know, Lord, Lord willing it, it happened. And, uh, so we, we got to go play. Man, with a 26 pound stringer on the last day, man, that's, that's, that's an amazing stringer. What was that? Like the third biggest bag of the week. That was huge. It was, and and that's that's a career bag for me so far. I've I've uh, I've never experienced uh, being able to put it together and having one of those perfect days and those clean days. And and uh, I, I knew I was around the right fish because on day one and day two, yeah, I really should have been somewhere over twenty pounds each day. Um, lost fish plagued me on both of those days, and and uh, I made an adjustment on on the final day. I mean, it, it's a lot easier when. When you go out and you know you're in 12th place, you know only top 12 fishes, you know you can't finish but worse than 12th place. You know it's so there some of the pressure was taken off of me a little bit there, and I was 20 pounds behind the leader, um, and and I really just needed to go out there and have fun. You know, put the enjoyment back into it, go fishing, and and uh, I made an adjustment. I looked at the tide charts and at the pretty much at the last minute, and I threw a. a audible in you know my game plan i just i just knew that i needed to make an adjustment and change and and boy did that pay off because the the first five fish i put in the boat were the five fish that i weighed in and and uh it, it went down quick and and uh, everything went right the first five fish you caught weighed 26 pounds that's right <laughs> project this let's talk about the bag it catches a five pounder then a seven pound ten ounce 
then a sinker, then another four pounder. Those were the five. Talk about timing the tide right, man. Holy crap. You, you made a little adjustment there, and I, I think you hit the nail directly on the head. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, that, that, was a, that was a decision that the uh, best decision I've ever made in fishing, obviously, and, and uh, to be able to make a comeback like that. It, it was incredible. I mean, just to, you know, and it wasn't that I was catching multiple fish in, in the same spot. It was literally I was, I was hopping, hopping spots, and, and what was neat about it was that, you know, I, I started realizing what to do and what was going on, and, and to be able to time that tide right, you know, I hit my first place right on the tide, and I knew that to chase that tide, if I started moving down the river, uh, little short hops at a time, I'd be hitting those places at the exact right time as well. And, and as I did that, you know, every single place I hopped on, it was, it was a big one. And um, I had some other opportunities that, that just missed. I didn't lose any fish that day. I fished clean. And, and obviously it's, you know, it's amazing what happens when you fish clean and to see the, see the results. But um, I did have a few fish that missed me. And, and, um, and so there were some other fish that, that possibly could have made a bigger bag there, but uh, you know, just, just timing that tide and being able to make the adjustments. I was fishing new water. Like I, the, the first place I fished was actually a place that, that I was catching them. But after that, the next four stops were new water uh, that I had not fished in the tournament, but they made sense because of the tide and what was going on. And, and I just hit everything just right. And, and uh, you know, just, it, it's hard sometimes to throw down what you're doing, you know, throughout the tournament, especially when you've got the opportunities and know it lives in other areas. But, you know, I just felt like I was just going to be making a bad decision if I went and fished, a, fished some of these areas on a marginal or a bad tide and it, it all worked out. Man, that's that's great. I love that. Uh, never take practice out of your tournament. That's that's been a mantra, uh, John Sokol. Uh, it's kind of burned. I've been using it all year, and it's helped me tremendously. Helped you fishing, you know, new water. Was that so? That was your adjustment was to to run the tide. Was it was it a, a current like the, the tide had to be high, low, or what? What was the adjustment? I pretty much tried to run the tide every day. Um, I just hit it right. Like I under, I figured out where I needed to be. And, and the main thing was having current. Um, when I, when, when you were on a turnaround tide and the tide started, you know, going slack, it made it really difficult. And, and to be honest with you too, there were some other areas that, you know, I had a lot of places to fish on the river. It wasn't just, you know, uh, you know, one thing in particular, there were certain places that, you know, were better at the high tides and certain places that were better on a little bit lower tide. And, and uh, it, it just depended on the depth of the water in some of these locations. And um, but but the main thing was, you know, when I started looking, I mean, we were making some long runs on these first couple of days. We were making some long runs. I mean, we were worried about getting back with fuel um, on some of these. And and uh, I, I decided when I started looking at the tide charts, the place that like on day two, I lost two fish that were about five pounds each, and I lost one about six to seven. And, uh, and those were a, a long ways, you know, out of the way, long ways up. And I started looking at things and, and I, I wanted to go right back there. I knew what lived there. I, I saw what lived there and these fish weren't alone. And I really, really, really wanted to go do that. That was my plan. When I went to bed that night, the night before, I'm, I'm going to straight back to these fish that I know. But when I woke up that morning, 
I looked at the tide chart and I was looking, I was like, why am I going to do that? It doesn't make any sense. Where I'm going to be hitting in on a turnaround, which, you know, is going to be a marginal tide for what's going to go there. And I, if I get up there all the way to the limits of what I can make to make it back on the same tank of fuel, I'm not going to be able to really follow it down. If I follow it down, I'm going to be hitting all the other places on the wrong tide as well. And it was just going to throw me out of sync for the whole day. And so what I realized was that if I, if I started close, you know, and basically I started really close to the ramp um, on that final day and then tried to put myself, the goal was to put myself in position by catching a few fish so that then I could go run to the other stuff and hit it once that tide had turned around and I could really just make mm -hmm. it happen, you know, and hit both areas at the right tides and set myself up for success. But I ended up, you know, I caught a bunch of fish throughout the day when I did do that, but, um, you know, everything happened first thing that morning because I hit it on a feeding period. I hit it on the right tide. I hit, you know, and I, and I was landing every time I made a move, I was moving a half mile at a time and I was just hitting it at the exact same point in time. So it just all worked out. Man, that's awesome. So people, JK, people said, I've heard them, uh, tides don't matter on, on the, uh, the, that river down in Florida. Doesn't have a big enough tide swing, doesn't matter. But look, you know, you know different, don't you? Yeah, it, it, it mattered big time, man. I, uh, you know, I, first off, and I think Mike would agree with me here, knowing Matt for so long, count, count me and Mike as two guys not surprised at what Matt did on the final day. This, we're talking a guy who won his first BFL. I think it, it was his first one where he was 11 pounds back in a two day, you know, and then busting them and, and coming back on the lead. You know, he talked about being 20 pounds back. Well, he closed the gap. He only, he was only about six or no, excuse me, five <laughs> and a half pounds back when it was all said and done. So you're talking about, you know, one or two fish that he had on, you know, on you know he got the bites to win this tournament super proud of him for for locking in and, and trusting his his gut to follow the tides because because i i got it right on day one with the tides um and that was because i i i ran that bass cat all over the place the the range from the southernmost fish to the northernmost fish i figured was over 40 miles that i caught on day one and uh, I figured, we, we kind of figured this out together, but obviously I've done a lot with Bash U. The only, the only way I know how to even consider tides is because I've spent time in the boat with Pete Glusek on the James River, you know, and the fact that I've been in the classroom for so many title seminars, Mike Iaconelli, Pete Glusek, JT Kinney. Guys, there's no joke, you know. The biggest thing that stood out to me, too, <clears throat> was a reminder on – Sure, there's tides that we'll all agree most of the, most of the season, fishing season. A lot of times it's going to say, hey, you know, that outgoing tide's going to be the best. Low tide can be great, you know, positions the fish and all that stuff. And that's great. But what we were seeing was when we had the current and the strongest tides, it didn't matter incoming or outgoing. It turned the, it turned the activity on. Those fish started swimming. The bait started swimming. Those fish started eating. And, uh, you know, day one, I, uh, I made a decision to, to leave some, some, uh, some territory that, uh, you know, I was confident in and stretch my range further than I had really fished in practice. 
And I, I tried to t put practice into the tournament again, Pete, from the get go, you know, and I, ex I expanded my range to where I felt confident to catch a fish just south of Palatka, maybe even down to Wheelaka, all the way north of Jacksonville, you know, and the magic, you know, let's go X's and O's real quick. You know, we can talk about the fun that we had, the fun, the fact that Matt caught a giant bag on top water, the fact that every fish that I weighed in was top water, man, that was fun, right? That, well, that never happens. I mean, in an entire <laughs> tournament, two qualifiers, I don't think either one of you weighed a fish on anything other than a top order that week. Well, the winner won it on a frog, Pete. <laughs> you know, the, the guys who just blew top water in their hand had some success. You know, and there's some guys who were flipping and stuff who got in that top top six. You know, um, you know, Crosno, everybody knows him. He's a great flipper. He's going to seek that out. And he's won down there. I think he did. He win the last regional down there, Matt. Crosno? No, Troy, Troy Morrow won the last one. Okay, I think Crosno won the one before uh, Troy back in, like, 16, because I think Wes Logan had, like, an 11-pound lead, and Crosno ran him down. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so there were – you know, everybody was fishing their strength, honestly, because we know David Lowry. He won a magical week. We, we know him, and he, he was – we know he was fishing his strength. Crosno was, got to the All-American fishing his strength. You know, and Matt and I, when we when we can, we we would prefer to throw anything on top. I think Mike Reed's in, on that team too. You know, big fish bite top water in the fall, but sometimes you you go home as even though I can't get a top water bite up here in Arkansas. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't well, get a top water bite sure. all week. I mean, Awachita is a top water lake. I mean, everybody I knows it is. I mean, it's like it's no secret. It's like a buzz bait whopper whopper capital of the world. Yep. Yeah, it is. Right. I mean, like every professional tournament I ever fished there was one on the top of you know, <laughs> you know, and uh man, I, I tell you, I just I went Mike's getting a little is he is he getting frozen on your end too, yeah. guys? Yeah, I'm losing Mikey a bit. But back to the back to where like the current played such a big deal, you know, I I had to learn as I go. I had to learn as the tournament goes on and sometimes I'd get it wrong and I'd have to run six or seven miles North or South to get, try to get back on the right tide, you know, and, and sooner or later you'd run into it. Um, but the magic was this and, you know, sorry, Matt, this is the Bash university, so we're going to give it up, but, when the further north I went, I didn't expect to find big populations of fish. You could find populations of fish in the creeks, and they 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 played. I felt like they they were on a different tide for like when the fish bit, and the tide wasn't good, you know, for that um, for the for the tournament that we got. So running that that main lake deal or main river deal, you had to have. The, the biggest, this is where Lake Master was so awesome for me because I could look at it and be like, they're going to, I'm going to be able to catch them there, 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 and there. The, the, the shallowest water, flat or point, that could stick out the furthest off the bank. Like, the, you know, we were making long idols up to the bank 
the fish would be right up on the bank. You could catch fish on docks if they were there and they would be out, but any dock fish I felt like you caught was inactive. If you were gonna go catch a fish on a moving bait, in our case, the top water, they'd be glued to the bank on the right tide and they would crush it. Well, you'd have to idle 100 to 300 yards, well, more than 100 yards, you'd have to idle 300 yards sometimes two to 300 just to get your boat in position to make a cast because there's that much flat water between you and the fish, you know? So we, we did a number on the bottom of our boats. Matt's still too scared to look at the bottom of his boat. <laughs> I've got some fiberglass work to do, you know, cause that, that's not a place for fiberglass boats. It's, Those hur hurricanes that came through back in like 2017, 2018, they tore up some docks and like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're on a stretch that has no docks on it. There are dock pilings laid on the bottom, laid over sideways that are covered in barnacles. Sounds barnacles. Pretty, yeah. pretty familiar it to is a river we fish, Pete. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. We, we, we get the barnacles too, but uh, yeah, I know where you guys, I couldn't believe that you guys were fishing for Florida bass around barnacles. I mean, it's, it, it, it's such an unusual, uh, occurrence how usually much? the the, the floriders are up in the muck man they're up in the pads and the <laughs> yeah you know, they're not down around that salt water but they were for you guys how well, much of an effect does it have on the bass on the saint john's river because you said something to me justin a couple times this week that really stuck out and that was that if they go too far from those docks they're getting eaten by a shark or they're getting eaten uh, by a snook or <laughs> how much does that affect the way these bass set up and live and feed for the simple fact that they're not the apex predator every every time i go fishing and my boat goes in the water i'm fishing for bass most likely that's the apex predator in the area that i'm fishing exactly. on the saint john's it's not how does that yeah. like how does that factor in yeah the further up you go the further up river which is south the further south you go they they become the apex predator right they can get offshore. You hear about the shell beds and yep. stuff. The, you know, the well, moment by you, Jacksonville, <laughs> I've well, seen what swims in that river. Jacksonville, the moment you cross under the bridge, it's a different fishery right there by Palaka. It opens up immediately, you know, because right south of Palaka, it starts to turn and starts to narrow up. Well, once you get that wide open water, you get Jack Crevels, you can catch a snook, redfish, there's tarpon you're seeing. Um, there's sharks available. But the thing is, the further you go to Jacksonville, guess what? The more of that stuff there is. So they get glued to the bank or glued to a dock post. They are tight to cover. And they're not everywhere. This isn't something we could just run every bank. And, you know, we had to figure out the types of areas these fish were using. And the reason I liked these mass expanses of shallow water, shallow flat water, was because, in my opinion, it gave them more safety from predators. It gave me a bigger potential to get a population of bass, even if that population was seven for that 200-yard stretch. That was enough for me because, guess what? I could go up there. I could cast at the bank, and if I got the tide right, I could cast at the bank for 200 yards, and I'd get one to blow up, you know, because they, they'd be there. Yep. And they, I, and they I like that. They have to eat, you know, there's, they were, they were eating finger mullet, which is why the top water works so good. Um, They're eating shrimp and crabs. All three of those were spit up in my live well. 
that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> I, I, I've seen that down at the Mobile Delta where the, the fresh water gets the, the mixing is so close together where the fresh and salt water can come together. And I think the St. John's is similar that way. And they're up there eating all that, that salt water uh, bait fish, which is amazing. But you, what you haven't talked about top water, what, what, how, how are you catching these fish? So I'll let Matt go in a sec, but I, I figured something out, you know, I, I tied on, well, when I figured out the top water thing, I was dock fishing because I actually found a Creek that was loaded. That Creek was North of Jacksonville and it was, it was loaded and I needed a reason to, to at least go up there. Even if I only fished in Palaka, you know, if I could find a pattern in Palaka and then run up there, I would have been happy. You know, and so I kind of put in kind of halfway between Palaka and the next bridge and started uh, poking around and I'm out there flipping a dock in the morning and I, you know, not really looking at top water. I got it tied on, but all these redfish come up schooling, right? Pushing finger mullet up on a reed line on a really shallow point next to me. Well, I go over there. I throw a cane walker, that new cane walker 110, just because that's what I had tied on from Lake Lanier, and throw it up there, and boom, here we go, baby. We got a redfish on. Nope, four-and-a-half-pound largemouth. <laughs> Light bulb went off. Two weeks prior, I was on a short family vacation down to the Panhandle, and I met up with a buddy who took me redfishing. We threw topwater all day long. We caught six redfish and 25 bass. What I remembered was the bass were so tight to those reed lines that you'd never catch them six feet off the bank. But six feet off the bank, you'd catch the redfish, you'd catch the snook and all that stuff. But it showed me that, hey, there's bass that live amongst these things. It gave me a confidence to start running and then to start running north. I took my hooks off, got a few bites. I identified them as bass, and I said, man, we are going to go burn gas today in practice. And that's all I did. And I just started marking stuff on my Lake Master, kind of got a view because it didn't matter about the type of cover. It could have been a reed line. The reed lines were great. Cypress trees were great. You know, they've got those knees in front of them. So it kind of gives them extra cover, you know, right up on the bank. The seawalls were great. Um, and it, what, what we figured out is it, it really didn't matter as long as there was a hard line a hard edge for them to bust the finger mullet up on. And you had that ingredients of all that shallow water out in front, that long point, that long flat magic, you know, what, what now you chose a, a, a walking bait over a, a whopper plopper or a chugger bait or, or what was that clearly the choice? I mean, would they not strike the other baits? So I tried everything else, right? So, the confidence was the fact that my buddy who took me red fishing throws that thing 12 months out of the year. His name's Tony. He's an awesome dude. He used to be a great bass fisherman, still is, but now he just fishes for redfish every year. And he throws a topwater all day long. And he catches big bass while he catches redfish, you know? And I tried a plopper. I tried a buzz bait. I tried frogs. Matt got frog bites in practice. I got Zero frog frog bite at the St. Joe this week. Frustrating because I wanted to make a frog bite work. Um, and uh, you know I could get bit on a jig and a wacky rig general around the dock posts, 
um, and around the docks. But to me, I, I decided not to do that because those fish were more inactive and you had to really slow down. And I felt like once you got the tide right, those fish were, they need a whole cane walker, um, you know, and get three hooks down its throat. So I actually started do, throwing a lot of different brands. And for whatever reason, that sound, it's got like a hard knocking sound, but there's rattles with it and stuff. It just seemed like they really liked that sound. I don't know if it's really the same way with Matt. You know, we were sharing what we were catching on, catching them on, but I, I ran with it and I threw chrome and bone, baby. That's it. <laughs> it was like I was out of here, you know? <laughs> was that, was that you too, Matt? Chrome and bone? Yeah, I had, uh, it was pretty much the same thing. It was mainly walking baits and, uh, I was throwing, um, I was throwing the bone flash and, and, uh, so I had some flash to it, but also had the bone color and, um, I was catching them on a gunfish. I was catching them on a spook. I caught some on, on the, the cane walker. It, it's, uh, it, it didn't seem to matter too much, but you know, um, the walking bait was just the main deal in my opinion. And, and I think it's because they were, they were glued to the mullet and, and uh what was what was crazy i mean it i saw multiple times throughout the week to where i mean the, the finger mullet was the deal like if you found them on finger mullet that was the deal because that's that's where your populations of fish seem to be but the uh we were watching sometimes there was eight eight inch mullet that were getting you know absolutely destroyed against a reed line or getting destroyed against a cypress tree and they were jumping out of the water trying to get out of the way and you're watching these fish just absolutely beat the crap out of them on the sides of them and trying trying to get them and and it was just it was one of the most phenomenal things i've ever seen now i, I had a clue going down there this time because in 2018 i found basically i figured out a similar deal and uh and so i had some execution issues in 2018 so i was really trying to figure out a frog bite uh this time i really thought if i could just get them hooked on a frog i wouldn't lose them because usually when i hook them on that, that frog it, it, they do knock them off and and uh this this time you know i got some bites on the frogs and but they were almost too aggressive like these, these fish were were super aggressive and and i'm, I'm going to tell you right now these were the loudest uh craziest most aggressive topwater strikes i think i've ever encountered in my life and yep. uh, i mean it sounded like somebody you know dumped a bunch of bowling balls out of a dump truck on top of them i mean that's <laughs> and, and i think a lot of it's just because of how shallow they were i mean a lot of these fish just like J justin said like we were having to idle you know a long ways to get to some of these fish i mean we're jack plates raised up you know motor up out of the water trying to get there and we're trying to be quiet but at the same time like you know get you know be efficient with your time and uh you get in there and they're all the way back up there on the bank and they're i mean some of these fish these are you know a lot of what i thought was going to happen was that i was going to be catching a lot of three and four pounders that was, that was kind of my take on it because of what i've experienced in the past and I was so wrong. Like there's five, six, sevens all mixed in on this. And, and, me, and, yeah, <laughs> and me and Justin were talking about it like during practice because he was asking, is it going on? Is it going on? And and I was like, man, I really don't know because I haven't done it. Like, and, and we experienced a major cold front for Florida um, to, to start off, kick off our practice. I got down there on Saturday afternoon and I uh, got to spend a couple couple hours on the water 
and there was a major flipping bite going on that day. Like they were, they were on the docks and things like that. And you could flip and catch them. And they were, I was getting frog bites. I mean, they were biting. Yeah. I was watching that night on Saturday night. It got cold and Florida fish do not like cold fronts and it shut them down for days. I mean, you should have heard the dock talk, you know, around there (laughs) saying, you know, I mean, there were people leaving, you know, it's just, it was very, very difficult wow. to get bit. And and I'm I'm second guessing it. I'm like, man, it took 32 pounds to make the cut last time we were there. I'm like, okay, it's going to take 26, 27 pounds to make the cut this time. But I didn't practice a lot of what I, you know, a lot of this pattern. I didn't want to lose confidence in it. So I spent, because I thought I would only be around three and four pounders, I spent almost I would say probably 75 to 80% of my practice looking for kicker fish in different places. And that was gluing you know, flipping baits in my hand and that was gluing frogs in my hand. And, uh, and I did find a few places and I actually never got to, I never even fished them, but um, I, I did that just looking for places that I might be able to, once I had a, maybe a 15, 16 pound limit, I could go call up, you know, and catch a kicker. And uh, it just never happened. You know, I never, never did that because I started seeing the potential. I was started catching four, four and a half. So I was jumping off fives. I was breaking off fish that, honestly, when I first broke them off on the hook sets, I thought they were saltwater fish. I thought that they're Jack Cravel. I thought they were, and then they would start jumping with my topwater bait in their mouth and they're five, six pounders. And I literally watched one throw my bait. You know, it, it jumped four times with my bait in its mouth. I'm watching it. It's a knife to the heart every time it jumps. And all of a sudden, it throws the bait out of its mouth. The bait lands on the water, and I watch another five-pounder eat it. And, oh, I, I mean, I had I waited around for five, ten minutes. I finally got my bait back but um, when that one spit it. But, I mean, it's just – it was one of the most incredible times I've ever experienced. I do think, too, just, just one little tidbit. I know um, Justin – talking about how these fish feel safe being up shallow and up on the bank and 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 i agree with that i think that there's so many different critters out there that can get after these things that that truly for a largemouth bass they like being on the bank they, they like being shallow if they can and that's going to be their safe area but we also were encountering a full moon and mm. on a full moon we were you know you're having the stronger tides which is the higher highs and the lower lows and uh and and it, for me not only was the 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 full moon a factor, but there's been a lot of rain in Florida this year, and certain parts of the river were higher than normal. Um, the salinity was actually down this year, like so because of the amount of fresh water that is entering the system. I think that's right. one thing that kind of allowed us to do what we did this year. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, but, Makes but a the lot water of sense. was the water was higher. The, you know, there's a little bit more fresh water in some areas, and I, I think it allowed us to chase that bite and get up shallow because those fish were up shallower this year than, than normal and, and even further north than normal. That's interesting that you say that. We see that this year in, in our area, too. We get a, a big influx of fresh water uh, all over our rivers and, and bay systems, and our, our salt, you know, our, our, our salt water lines are going down and down this year. They didn't come up near as high as they normally do. That that's that's really cool and, and really great observation. Makes a lot of sense. Riz, let me throw it to you. We got some IMs for these guys. Yeah, absolutely. The uh, first IM question that I'm going to go with is from Bassin 804, and Bassin 804 wants to know um, from JK and Matt 
Uh, how much does the brackish water uh, influence affect the amount of bass that can be in one area? Does 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 the salt water influence limit the amount of bass that can live in one area, or does it seem to be um, you know the same as a completely freshwater environment? I'm going to let Matt take that one because, as you heard him explain, he's a lot smarter than me. <laughs> well, I'm, 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 uh, we're, we're learning this, this uh, title game together, so it's, uh, we don't have a lot of experience with that. But obviously, uh, there's a major population of fish in that river down there on the St. John's, and, and, and I believe, I believe what's happened this year is that you know, a, I think the large population of fish like to be in the creeks up there. When you get a lot of that brackish water, or you get a lot of that that salt kind of, you know, influence. I think a lot of those fish are going to want to be in the creeks. And I think, you know, because there's plenty of tidal creeks up there that actually have a lot of fresh water, you know, coming through them. I think that's where those fish live. I mean, when you look at the, in, in the past couple of years, the the Elite Series and, and some of these other tournaments that have been out there, you know, there has been some guys win that direction or, or do well that direction. It's just they've been up in the creeks. And I think that the fact that we had fresh water, you know, a lot of fresh water this year, a lot of rain that influenced into the system, that it allowed a lot of those fish to venture out into some areas that maybe they're not normally there. I mean, we didn't have much fishing pressure around, and I think it's because it's, you know, we were fishing like we were catching redfish. Um, yep. But I think that I think that there is a large population of fish. I just think that they they uh, we hit it at a weird time to where you know these fish actually were out on the river rather than in the creeks you know because they're they're going to thrive and live in those creeks more times than not you know they're going to spawn in those creeks they're going to do their their whole early part of the year that's what they're doing um and i think uh too we hit a perfect storm with seeing these big populations of fish that live in those creeks that ventured out because there was a shrimp run and there was a mullet run happening that was delayed it would normally have started earlier on and uh and and it drew them out there to so they could gorge on that that type of bait so um but i i think i mean you see in a lot of places i mean there's large populations in a lot of tidal fisheries you know i i had to research a lot about tidal fisheries you know i was watching the the seminar with jt you know uh i was watching ike's you know um you know, seminar on, on tidal water, and I was trying to learn it there, and, and there's plenty of bass that live out there. What I think limits them when you're talking about salt water is I feel like anytime you're in brackish or salt, I feel like it limits the size of what those fish can get. I think that you can have just as many fish out there around. I just, for me, it's kind of the mental block is that I didn't think there was going to be these big fish out there. I, I feel like when you get into salty type environments, you're going to see your population of, you know, of large fish kind of cap out around that three to four pound mark. And, uh, and, and we were wrong this year because uh, those big ones made it out there. So. It, that's a great, you know, it's an interesting, and I think that fresh water, I think your observation on the, the more fresh water in that system allowed those bigger fish to get further, uh, closer to Jacksonville than probably they do normally. Uh, you know, we see it down in other places it, it's there's a lot to learn here it's a great question uh by the viewer and you know we've had a study on the chesapeake here where uh smallmouth was caught in fresh water and uh and brought 20 miles through salt water uh to a weigh-in and tagged and he swam 20 miles through salt water to get back to his home um wow you know so so there, there, there's 
you know, fish will travel through it. They have tolerance for it to a certain extent. Down down at the Mobile Delta, you know, I fished several tournaments down there, and um, the 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 saltwater bait congregates at the freshwater meeting line. It's where all the food is. So all the mm. bass really spend their lives in salt water, and it limits their growth. Uh, it, they they just can't live a long life. They can't spend too much time in the salt water. So uh, it's just such an anomaly, like you said, Matt. These giant fish are right there in the brackish zone, and it, it's it's not common to see that in my experience. And uh, it, it's really cool. I think I think that extra fresh water really helped drive that population around. But uh, man, great stuff. Catch them on top, guys. You want to go down? You want to top water fish St. John's River? Get a frog? Get some top water baits? <laughs> Oh my God! I think we all we got all got to go down there next October, you know. Right. Put hey, some thirty pound leader on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's 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 talk about the winner real quick. David Lowry's first stop. He caught a nine pounder, a seven pounder, and a five pounder. First stop of the tournament on a frog. <laughs> that, that's that's what that fishery offers, you know. And and I, Pete, I got to give a gift to our our viewers out there. Because you gave me and Matt a gift on day one. Um, and I felt like we need to give it back. And you probably said it in the seminar. Um, I, I can remember you saying it, but reiterating it to us. You know, here's what happened. Matt told you guys about the break-offs. Losing fish on the jump. I really wasn't losing fish on the jump. But like I said, I had nailed the tides earlier in the tournament. And so when I got bit, when you nailed the tides, those fish would inhale the bait. Yeah. There was no jumping and throwing your bait. You got three hooks of a cane walker down its gullet, you know. And man, honestly, the uh, the the there was two times I didn't hit the tide right, but but a five or six pounder blew up on my bait, and I would come back two hours later or an hour later on the right tide, and I caught their those fish. And that, I mean that felt good, but that reiterated, hey, this is just getting the tide right. Once you get the tie right, these fish are easier to catch. I want to you know? I want to just but, echo that and JK and interrupt for a second because it reminds me of the great Aaron Martins when he was down here fishing the Chesapeake and the fish mm -hmm. were nipping at his chatterbait during a slack or a poor tide. And as the tide uh, got low, those fish connected. They stopped yeah. missing and they started connecting. And it's all about the the right tide cycle. And I just just want to give a shout out to Aaron Martins. We love you and we're thinking about you. And uh, it just yeah. reminded me exactly of that because you're right, JK. That ties everything. It, it means between it's difference between a miss and a hookup. You know, oh, hey, Pete, but, you know, you know, you know what I think was the the two key things that Matt said. Matt, you, you know, like dialing in the bait and dialing in the tide and all that's very important. But you said two things that punched your ticket to the All American. And the first one is you didn't want to practice when it was bad. You knew it was going to be bad, and you didn't want to ruin your confidence. Mm -hmm. that's, the, that's the number one. And the number two thing that you did is you didn't – you made the decision to fish new water on day three. Those are the two decisions that punch your ticket to the All-American. And I mean, yeah. dude, that's so important. That's tournament fishing 101, you know, like we can know all the information and know all the, the, what we ought to be doing and, 
you know, everybody needs to be throwing a white buzz bait and a whopper plopper to watch the cob. But at the end of the day, you got, I mean, you got to have the confidence and you got to, you got to make decisions and fish new water on tournament days. Yep, absolutely. Uh, and, and the other part of that too, and, and it's, it's not as visible or not, not as seen, but, uh, you know, obviously a 26 pound bag kind of overshadows things, but you know, my lowest, my smallest bag of the week was 14.9 or 14.3 or whatever it was on day two. I caught every single one of those fish on new water on day two. And, and it was, I literally was just running, running a deal, trying to get back into the right zone. And, and it, it took, it, it took leaving my area and going to new water to catch those fish, but I never, re, I never got to revisit those fish. I didn't even get to go revisit those fish, even though there was big ones in there. I didn't, that's where I was going to go. And then I yep. just completely changed directions on day three. And, and it and you have to, you have to, you have to play those conditions, you know, like, yeah. I, and it's the hardest thing to do in bass fishing. I really believe that, you know, it's easy. It's easy to say, Mike, it is the hardest thing in the world it's to the do. the hardest it's thing to do. Me and Justin talk about it all the time. I mean, Justin, Justin's like my, uh, my mental coach, you know, like we talk about it constantly. Like I despise practice. I hate it. Every time I have a good practice and I go out there and I'm going to whack a 30 pound bag on Sam Rayburn, right? It, I, I stink, you know, but every time I don't practice or I just idle around and run and look at areas and, 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 you know, kind of figure out what's going on and all right, I can see this. Hey, this, this is the potential. This is the juice. I, I get it. There's 20 boats in here, but they're all going to give up on it today and not fish it tomorrow. And that's when I'm going to be in there. Right. <laughs> and, uh, I mean, that stuff pays off. I mean, it's the mental game more than it is anything else. And, Mike, and I mean, I think, yeah, you're right. It's between the ears and it, people don't account for that. I mean, the exit, you know, you got to know your exit. You got to be tight. You even got to be good with a drop shot and the Sanko BTC. You got to be good with all <laughs> that stuff, but but between the ears can really separate you. And Mike, let's let's take a turn, man. Let's take us to Lake Wachita, man. You had an hey. amazing tournament through an incredibly tough field in a water in waterway that you're not that familiar with, man. Congratulations. Justin. Oh, thank you. Yeah, Justin, did you have something real quick? Man, real quick, I wanted to follow up. I know I'm long-winded on, on, on that earlier. I want to get to Wachita. But real quick, Pete, I gotta give our guys the gift I was talking about. Oh, I got carried away, but here's the deal. Um, you know, that the, the, you talked about me being your mental coach. Pete's mine. Pete's my life fishing coach. And, and I had told him about the fish that we broke off. I broke off what I think was a legit 10-plus pounder, maybe 12. Um, you know, this fish acted like a snook. If she didn't try to come out of the water, I wouldn't have known she was a bass. I also broke off like a 7 to 8. Early on day one, this is before I put my 21-pound bag together. But, you know, we, we, we stuck with it. We had PMA. We can go into all the adversity and all that stuff through the tournament, whatever. I get a text after I told Pete kind of a synopsis of what happened in a text after weigh-in. He's, you know, pumped up for me or whatever, but he throws, interjects this in. Give me a call about those breakoffs if you get some time. And this was a key moment because he got to remind me of a lesson that he's already taught me. You know, I can remember this, but I'm never on tidal water. 
Um, and when you're around that, those giant fish, let's be honest, Matt, those are the sharpest teeth I've ever seen in a bass. My hands were absolutely cut up. And uh, they broke 40-pound braid like it was butter. They put it on barnacles. And Pete gave me and Matt, I had Matt on the phone too because he had break-offs on day one. We had him on speakerphone, and he's sitting there saying, guys, 20, you know, you got to use a leader, but 20 will cut on those barnacles, 25 will cut on those barnacles, 30, you'll get some abrasion resistance with that 30. Matt just so happened to have 30-pound fluorocarbon. I, we bumped up the 50 and 65-pound braid, tied those 30-pound uh, fluorocarbon leaders on, and That's I never awesome. had to break off the rest of the tournament. Man. How did that affect the action of your bait? Dude, it didn't, yeah. man. Cane walker will freaking walk right. on. Because <laughs> it's just so, it's so big a line. That thing is so easy. Also, it didn't matter because <laughs> all you had to do was throw it up on the bank, and if they didn't blow on it, blow up on it right away, you just had to go twitch, twitch, kaboom. <laughs> you know, it wasn't. You didn't need a lot of action. You just needed, you needed the the meat. It, it, it is crazy looking at it because the uh, the break offs I had, you know, I actually got the bait back that I broke off on day one, and and I threw it down on the floor of the boat, didn't tie it back on because I had I had already tied on a couple since you know I was sitting there waiting on the fish to throw the bait. Um, I was, I was, uh, you know, didn't even think about it. Well, I like to use a loop knot on a lot of my top waters just because of the, you know, getting the action and things like that. So I was using on some of my smaller top waters cause I was trying to mimic the finger mullet. I wasn't using the big stuff, but I had a, uh, I had a 40 pound braid to a 20 pound monofilament leader uh, on there. And, you know, I've never had a problem with that before. Like that's always been, been fine and good and had the loop knot. Well, it broke about half an inch above the loop knot and uh, where, where I saw it. And so I was looking at it. And, and so I started checking my, my leaders, you know, on some of the other stuff, you know, the next couple of days after we had even upped some, I was started throwing 25 fluorocarbon leader on some of my smaller, like my gunfishes and things like that. But I was going on like the bigger baits, the bigger spooks and things that were easier to walk. I'd go to the 30 pound and call me crazy. Cause you know, I probably should have, should have, paid more attention to this but i ended up not retying one time on uh, that day of the 26 pound bag i didn't i never retied but <laughs> i kept feeling my my line above that loop knot every time I, you know i was still using a loop knot on it then and you can feel that exact spot half an inch above the knot you can feel that area where it was getting uh i think it's the teeth i, th I think it's the teeth yeah. from the fish and i just think these are just absolutely insane monster fish that are down there that are because uh you know, i've not experienced fish with teeth like that and having to worry about it yep well that's yeah. interesting I, and i know that about florida strains their teeth are are a little bit more fierce than than your northern strain largemouth we've i've seen that and uh but but you know if you've watched my seminars at bash you you've seen me talk about the line and when, when it comes to zebra mussels which are the most uh ferocious you know structure out there uh it will cut 20 pound test like it's nothing uh 25 will will survive a little better it'll still zip right through and 30 it, it's like an exponential uh growth like the toughness factors that's where you need to be 30 pounds will get get those fish caught and get them through the habitat so uh hey, hey, Pete, it was a treat i'm glad to be able to be you know help 
thrilled to to work with you on that, Justin. And and I and I want to give you a shout out back too because a lot of times I bounce stuff off of you and you remind me of things. And you you're you're a very good coach to be honest with you. Uh, you know you've got a good mind for fishing, and I'm not surprised you find yourself in the All American this time on the boater side. So it's pretty pretty awesome. And uh, and I want to get to our other boy, um, yeah, Mike Reed. And I want I want to talk to you, Mike, because it was a you you were in foreign habitat. Uh, by the way, thank you for your service. You're you're in the Air Force. You're a military man, and I want to thank you very much for that. Liked you from the day I met you. You've been great uh, partner with Bash University, being with us at the Classic, and uh, thrilled to death that here you are in a new new part of the country. Uh, you're used to that kind of travel, but man, you just went out there and you took it to the boys in Texas, and uh, now you're going to the All American. So uh, congratulations, and take take us through that, buddy. Well, thanks, Pete. And uh, I tell you, you know, this this year. I, you know, last year when I first moved to Texas, I, I kind of jumped in a little team deal um, with a buddy of mine that I'd met. And I just kind of spent the year kind of learning some of these lakes, you know, visiting them and um, and just fishing local derbies, you know, and, and stuff like that. Well, this year I'm like, you know what, this is just I, I was like, I think I can compete. You know, I mean, I get it, dude. I've never been to Sam Rayburn. I've never been to Toledo Bend and I get it. You know, everybody up here in North Texas, like, man, you're just going to get stomped going down there. You're just going to get stomped going down there. And I heard that and I listened to it the first year, you know, and I was like, you know what? I'm going anyways. I need to learn it. And, uh, I mean, I feel like I can compete, you know, and, uh, and, you know, and it panned out really the first part of the year, um, I either cash checks or won the nine out of the first 11 tournaments I fished. And, uh, so I had a lot of momentum. But, you know, rolling, rolling into this regional, man, I really bombed the two-day. I mean, it was horrible. I had a great practice. Once again, I hate practice. Did I tell you guys that? Um, <laughs> I mean, a phenomenal practice on Rayburn. Like, I mean, I, like if I could have caught those fish, I mean, I could have won the tournament-type practice. Um, but it just, it just didn't pan out. I fished another uh, two-day with the uh, – uh, you know, it's the old Bassmaster Weekend Series. I think they call it the Ram Truck Series now, run by ABA. It's a, it's a cool little trail. Um, you know, I was on the winning fish to deal that, do, win that one, and, and I just, once again, had a phenomenal practice, dialed in, and, of course, I just bombed it. Um, you know, didn't cut a check in that one. So, I mean, I was just kind of on a losing streak there. You know, I had like four tournaments in a row. just wasn't great. Late summer. You know, offshore is just not my strongest game. Um, but, you know, I'm figuring it out a little bit. But I knew that going into this tournament, you know. Um, I just kind of knew that, you know, I was kind of in a slump. And uh, I spent my practice on day one. I know what I like to do. And I ran as far up that Ouachita River as you can get a boat. And, I mean, <laughs> I ran until you couldn't even troll with the trolling motor anymore. And there's water running in. And I started right there, and I fished my way down the river. And uh, right. I spent I spent probably five hours doing that. And I just I'm like, there's not enough up here. This is not going to be the deal. And that was mm. key to me because I, that's what I love to do. I mean, that's what I want to do. And uh, I just knew I had to get that out of my head, you know. And uh, and, and then I spent the next two days idling and running around looking. Um, you know, there was two major creeks I stayed in. 
um, and I, that I knew had a lot of potential, but I knew every brush pile in those creeks. I mean, I knew every single one of them. There was, I mean, I literally, I don't think there's a brush pile in the back of Crystal Springs that I don't know about. Um, and, and, and I mean, I literally did. I put the trolling motor down the first morning. I was like, well, I'm going for largemouth first. I ran all the way to the back and there wasn't a single boat back there. And I just fished, you know, I, and, and, and funny enough, I just picked up a shaky head. I knew the tournament was going to be tough. You know, I, I grew up on a lake like this. I grew up on Lewis Smith Lake, which is a real tough fall fishery. You know, they have a real steep winter drawdown. Um, and I, and I, and it's a mixed spot, largemouth lake, which I've had some of my best tournaments on. And I just, I just knew that these fish wanted to be on isolated cover, um, on flat banks. I just know large, that's what the largemouth want to do on these lakes. I, you know, and I know you can catch them other ways, but that's just, if I was going to do good in this tournament, I knew that's how I was going to catch them. Mike, I can't let you skip over the, the shaky head part. I need a little bit more detail on that what was your what was your rod set up were you throwing it on a bait caster were you throwing it on a spinning rod what what were you doing there well can i can i get in let me finish kind of talking about practice okay. and then can i jump in on that i'm sorry i kind of jumped ahead a little bit there but you know i i really i just i ran and ran and i saw the potential i ran in one creek and there was I mean, it was the most beautiful flat you've ever seen with isolated stumps and laid, you know, and, and brush piles washed up on this flat. And there's 20 boats in there on day two of practice, right? Well, I go back in there on day three, there's another 20 boats in there in practice. And I'm like, mm. I was like, but this is right, man. I was like, I know it's right. And, uh, I, but I didn't want to fish it. I knew it would ruin my confidence. Like, you know, just like Matt was talking about, I knew it would ruin my confidence. The, the lake was fishing so tough. I'm talking, you know, five to seven bites a day. You're not just going to blow through an area in practice. And as much as we, we like to think that we fish professional all the time, we really don't fish great in practice. You know what I mean? Like, it's hard to get up. You, you can get up for game day, but, you know, sometimes in practice you go through the motions a little bit, and I didn't want to do that, you know? Um. So, and I, I just felt like that was the number one key for me was not getting washed out. Cause I talked to so many guys they were beat before the tournament even started, you know, um, a couple of buddies from Texas. Yeah. They're like, they're like, man, I flipped all that stuff and I couldn't get a bite on it. You know? And I was like, well, yeah. I didn't fish it. Yeah. That's interesting that you say that Mike, it's like not fishing sometimes adds to your confidence more than fishing does you know mm. it, it, it's odd how that happens and it and it destroys you during the tournament because if you fish through an area and don't get a bite you're never going there during the tournament never you've already eliminated it you know right right that's that that's the mental side it's so it's such a complicated thing but uh you in other words you can over practice you can definitely yes. over practice Yes. And then I knew, I knew I could, I could only fish so much, you know, you can only fish so much in a tournament. So I isolated myself to the two best looking creeks. And uh, then I had an offshore game where I found a bunch of brush piles out around the islands and stuff um, just for a fallback. You know, I can go catch some rat spots. I'm not going to win out there. Could I catch a keeper? Heck yeah, I can. I ain't going to win out there. I knew that, you know, unless something just crazy special happens. So I ran in the back of that creek and, and, you know, and I'm throwing a shaky head and I'm throwing the, uh, 
uh, well, I don't even know what shaky head it is. That's horrible. Isn't it? <laughs> it's the. Uh, <laughs> I really don't. I have no idea what shaky head it is, but it's a shaky head. And I'm just throwing a green pumpkin green trick worm, man. I mean, it's like the simplest thing in the world on ten pound line. And uh, it, was it a screw big, lock shaky head? Was it to that it, bar? Yeah, it was. It was a screw lock shaky head. Um, it's the Scott Canterbury shaky head. That's the one it is. There uh, you go. He yeah. makes it. He makes a phenomenal shaky head. It comes through brush and rocks better than any shaky head I found. Mm. Um, so that's why I like throwing it. I can throw it on the rip wrap like a, you know, even a quarter ounce, and I don't get hung up like everybody else and like all the other ones I used to throw, and I'd be hung every two casts, and then I'd throw my rod on the bank and run fifty <laughs> miles away. But um, <laughs> but anyways, right. yeah, I just started winging. I started on a brush pile on a flat, and uh, you know, it's about six foot of water. And about my fourth cast, you know, I caught one about two pounds. And I'm like, hey, oh, hang on now. You know, <laughs> hey, I can get with this. So yeah. we mill, I milled around for a while. And it's funny, there is, there's the most popular boat ramp on this lake uh, for the guys, at least on the south end. And I mean, hundreds of boats put in here every day. And they all just blow through this creek. So the water's a little more stained back there. I like that. Um. There was an old isolated dock out there, the right by the boat ramp, but I don't know why, but it's not connected to the banks and nobody uses it. But also nobody ever fishes it. So so I just trolled over there and uh, I, I was fishing an old monster worm and and I skipped that thing up underneath that dock man, and busted a three pounder. And, and that really got my day rolling, you know, and uh, and and I ended up filling my limit with spots and then running to a marina and catching a couple of largemouth to cull out all them spots. But, um, that, that really, that really kept me in the hunt, you know, and I would, I'm telling you the back of that Creek was not the deal. That Creek was not the deal. Um, but it kept me in the game, you know? Yeah. And then on day two, I went, I started in the marina where I culled twice, which is basically an idol from <laughs> like, when they called my number, I never even put it on pad. You know, I just kind of dropped the trolling motor and, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and started right there. So I went to the back of that. I fished there for a while, didn't get anything going, and, and uh, went back to Crystal Springs again. And it just it just wasn't happening back there. So I made a move, and uh, I told myself, I'm like, hey, at 12:30, Mike, you need to. It's time to put some fish in the boat, bud. You know, this is not going to work. I think I had two rat spots and. So, you know, I went to my confidence. I knew I was in the right habitat. I, so I went to my confidence. And I started swimming a jig. And um, everybody throws white. Do what? I said swimming a jig on Wachita. Is that a thing? I don't think so. <laughs> it will be now. Yeah, I can remember right? Mike being uh, on the phone with you after day one. And you're like, hey, dude, I'm tying on a jig for you, Kimmel. Just to I swim did. a jig. <laughs> yeah I, I was like tying on the justin kimmel swim jig yep um but uh yeah I, I make i make my own jigs you know i'm forcing jigs and uh and what i noticed the brim were up and they were up shallow and i'm talking about shallow Pete. i'm talking about like you know it's a foot deep 20 foot off the bank and they're on the bank i mean i'm talking about in you know, anywhere from three to six inches of water. Mm. And everybody and everybody up there is throwing a whopper plopper, 
or a, a big old spook or a buzz bait or you know or something and it's too clear to get a bite on a frog i mean the water's crystal clear so i'm like well what can i so i'm going to swim a jig you know so i put a green yeah. pumpkin jig on and um and, and it's something i got confidence in when i when i can swim it and flip it and get bit and i know that oh yeah i can it's double threat oh i can catch it so i ain't yep. got to put it down right <laughs> so i did i started burning that thing just keeping it i mean the only reason i'm burning is because if i don't it's in the dirt you know yeah mm. so i'm burning that thing as fast as i can and uh and, you know, and I fished it for probably 45 minutes, and I'm like, oh, it's not really happening. I got to this little back of a pocket, and I had a big roll. I mean, a big roll up. And I'm like, hmm, okay. That, that tells me something. I'm kind of do, doing something right to get a reaction. Well, I move over to the flat and start flipping it, and I catch a couple of two-pounders. And um, at that point, it's like 1.30, and I've got four, two rats and, you know, two two-pounders. Well, I run in the back of this marina, and uh, I, I go to the shallowest dock they got. I mean, it's there's probably eight inches of water under this dock, and it's a <laughs> big, long. I mean, there's probably a hundred boats in this one dock, and I get up behind it, and I'm I'm flipping the in the boat slips, you know, I'm flipping, flipping, flipping. While I hear a blow up, and I'm like, oh man, I I get to that boat slip, and I flip that thing up there, and here I now I'm now I'm swimming, you know. And I called three times after that. I I caught my limit and called three times in the next thirty minutes. Oh my god! <laughs> so, and that ended up being my big bag. It was only ten pounds, but uh, you know I wasn't catching twenty six pounds or nothing. But but it was. <laughs> Man, but it was watch it in October though. It's okay, right? Yeah. But, but that's what happens. But and, and you know, and I never caught a single fish off the same thing twice. You could you could fish anything, and they weren't there. There there was a couple things I was doing something different. I really feel was key, and then I was putting my bait in places that other people weren't putting them. Mm. And I mean, in those tough tournaments, that's what you got to do. I mean, I really feel Maybe. like, you know, like the, this. Yeah, I threw a shaky head, but I mean, I really only threw it for three casts. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, this, I just feel, this sounds this sounds. This sounds exactly like the Gerald Swindle junk fishing seminar. <laughs> yeah. You know, but I mean, but I just, knew I was in the right area. You just fish, you know, you just, you're yeah. like, okay, well, how can conditions go? Um, day three was the same thing. It was bright and sunny for, you know, seven days in a row. Well, the clouds blowed in at nine o'clock. And I'm like, uh, bud, hate to tell you, your dock meal is not going to work today, you know? Yeah. Mm. As much as I wanted it to work. It wasn't gonna, and I knew that. But it, you know, it, once again, in fishing, it's the hardest thing to do is to leave it. And luckily, I did, and I and I busted a couple of good ones and got what I needed to have. You know, how did you bust a couple of good ones? I went back to that flat flipping, flipping. You went flipping, yeah. and it's the, the same class. flat. No boats, no boats. I mean, it had every time I went back there, there was, you know, 20, 30 boats. You couldn't hardly even idle looking for brush. There were so many boats out there, you know, <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, tournament day, everybody didn't give up on it, you know? Wow. Hey, but man, that's, that's where the fish are headed. They're headed yeah. there. It's fall. Yeah. 
Well, it's a great, like I said, it's a, it's a junk fishing seminar and it's a great one. I mean, just keeping an open mind and uh, a very, very tough practice going fishing to your strengths, looking for the bite th that is your strength is, is a huge thing, man. And, uh, and, yeah. and you did it, man. It's great. It's a great week. What fourth place? Yes, sir. Yeah. Fourth place in a in a monster field, a bunch of hey. local studs out there, you know. Yeah. Jake, can I interject you? something? I, yeah. I know Mike I commented. On, I know he commented on some of the keys that uh, that Matt made that stuck out to him. I'm gonna go ahead and tell you why Mike's an all American. He said he was putting his bait in places that other people can't. Well, let me tell you something about Mike Reed. If, uh, if you hear that and you think you're just going to go do that without years of practice, <laughs> Mike Reed can put a bait in a coffee can 26 feet by, uh, you know, under a dock you know, and do it 25 straight times. Um, he's one of the absolute best casters that I know of, and I think there's something to that with uh, that had to be you know part of uh your win here man is is the fact that you actually can do that um and it wouldn't surprise me to know that old alabama mike reed guy spent time in georgia where you have to be able to good caster went out there at wachita where maybe those region of guys don't have to do that all the time you you don't you i'm telling you edge my friend and Dude, I, my doc my doc my dock flipping game. So you know this. We all grew up in, I, and I, I'm from Alabama, but we my fishing game grew up in Georgia. You know, you know I I became a bass fisherman in Georgia. I mean I always I fished tournaments out of the back and did all that stuff. You know and had a great time. But I moved to the front in Georgia, so I really feel like I cut my tournament teeth in Georgia, man. And and dude, you're right. I mean, you remember Justin? I mean, we both learned from one of the masters oh uh mr randy woodham mm -hmm. you know i mean oh, man. i ever learned from randy i mean like the first time i fished with randy i'm like um yeah i'm doing it wrong yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah. yeah and i'm like um yeah i want to grow up and be like that guy you know so i mean i did i put a cinder block in the backyard and stood on a bucket you know and and started trying to put a 10-inch worm through the hole of a cinder block that's 20 foot away, yeah. you know. And, ha and luckily, just so you guys know, a five-gallon bucket is almost the exact height of the front deck of a boat, or at least for a trite, and I know it is because I measure. But, um, <laughs> you would measure. Yeah. But, but I mean, all that, all that practice pays off, you know. I just remember the, you know, the <laughs> – some of the neighbors driving around going, catch anything yet? You know, like kind of laughing at me. I'm like, yeah, a couple of suckers, you know. And, um, but, <laughs> but yeah, but all that stuff, you're right, it pays off. And, and dude, I'm telling you, in Texas, you don't have to fish docks. I mean, I they just don't get on them like that, you know. Wow. And uh, my, my, my dock flipping game kind of suffers being out in Texas, you know, because <laughs> you're just, you're, you're bombing and winging most of the time. So, mm -hmm. Well, that's, but, that's interesting. Well, casting's key. I, you know, I've learned over the years, it takes about 5,000 casts of any one particular cast uh, to be, become proficient at it. Uh, you know, so, hey, 
you know, we've got a bunch of guys that work full time and they don't get to fish as much as, as the guys that fish every day do. And so to become proficient at those casts, it, it takes a lot of practice and it, you can't, you know, most guys practice when they get on the water, you know, that's yep. the only time they cast, you know, is when they get on the water. And uh, if you want to be able to skip docks like Alabama, Mike Reed, you need to, you need to get some practice in. But yeah, and it's really, real expensive too, you know, like to learn this, it's real expensive. You got to get a cinder block and a five gallon <laughs> bucket. <laughs> I, I like, I like it. I'm going to send it over to Riz for, uh, for an IM question. Yeah, so Mike, when you're on a bite where you can both get bit flipping and uh, swimming a jig, what is the head shape on that, and and does it matter? Um, you know, if you're if you're if you're getting bit flipping and you're also swimming it back coming through cover, do you need a specific head shape, and do you have one that works best for you? Um, so I don't know if you got you guys are probably familiar with the do it molds. Um, uh, there's one in there called the brush jig. Um, I really like that head for swimming and flipping. Um, it's got a recessed eye. Almost everything I throw has a recessed eye. I hate the eye hanging out there. Um, everything I look for, whether it be a football jig or anything, I want the eye that hook in the lead, you know, and that's just what I want. Um, but there's two, there's two jigs that I swim, and it's that brush jig, and then I swim a little ball head jig that's a really light, and it's just kind of one of those spot lake sneaky swim jigs it's actually a finesse jig and you can you can reel it you know you have to shake your rod and you can reel it and it'll dart you know side to side a little bit on you and uh but those are the two that i man i'm telling you on those mixed lakes i've had a lot of success in the, in the fall uh swimming and and flipping both of those and what about the uh the weight on the jig that you were throwing um so i was throwing a three eighths ounce okay. uh a weight on those and and even though it was so shallow i like i tried the quarter out but i couldn't keep it in the water you know and, and i wanted the bait i wanted the it's super shallow but i still wanted the bait down in the water i didn't want to skim it across the top of the water because it doesn't do what it's supposed to do so three eight seemed to be the the right weight and uh, on the baby jigs that i throw uh three sixteenths is my favorite and um on the trailer on your jig so one of the things that you know some of our instructors have have talked about a lot is how much your skirt lays over where the action of your trailer begins how much of your trailer do you have hanging off like the back of the hook like so that you know you have all the legs kicking or do you have your your skirt kind of covering a third of the trailer what do you got going on so so i'm i'm a zoom super chunk guy i love a super chunk i like a uh i like the pro chunk as well um the pro chunk's more of just a straight tail um it's just real subtle and you know in these clear lakes i mean i feel like subtle is just the way to go you know i don't i, I mean i don't need to throw the super duper you know super speed bull whip tail crawl daddy you know i just need i just need something with some action to it you know the little flutter action um, and then speed. I mean, speed right. is, is speed kills and almost everything we do, whether you're throwing a crankbait yeah. or a jig, or if you can get this fish to react versus just wanting to eat, you can win you some money. Right. Braid or, you braid should, or fluoro. Now, Cause Mike, I remember when we were together on your lake in Texas, it was fluoro on 
how we were swimming a jig that day. Were you were you yeah. were you fluoro in, in this event as well? Yeah, I, I threw twenty pound fluorocarbon. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It's only because there was no barnacles around. <laughs> That's or, or right. Florida. The, but when you when you were when you were swimming that jig, you talking about speed. Were you doing the the high in the water column thing where you're where you're right under the surface, like six to well, twelve I, inches? Yeah. So it is high in the water column, but it was only like eight inches deep. So I mean, <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Hey Pete, so so one of the things that I noticed, so we stayed, we stayed at a place that I could oversee uh, a big flat in the back of a creek, right? Mm-hmm. And y- you could look down, you know, it's kind of the, you know, I mean, I was up there probably a hundred feet, but um, you could see on the flat, you could see fish, you know. And I'm like, what? I couldn't tell if they were bass or what they were, but they're just sitting there. They're sitting on the bottom. Wow. They're like bellies on the bottom. Well, the more I got up there and in, in, in the dirt and really like, like there were several times I was idling at a pretty good rate of speed and I just turned my motor off and walked up on the front deck, trimmed my motor all the way up and just watched, you know, and they're bass up there. They're just sitting there. They're like sulking, you know, and I don't know, I don't know why they're sulking, but they're waiting. They're just, waiting on the fall shad to come into their flat. I, th- okay. I think so. I don't know what they're doing. But they're just. They're just. They're just waiting there. You know. Wow. And, and they're. It's. They're almost like they're asleep. And I thought you had to wake them up. You know. I mean, literally, I felt like I was almost hitting some of these fish that ate the jig. You know. Yeah. Oh. yeah. Wow. Get, causing that reaction. That's. Wow. I mean, when you can do that, that's such a trigger. Like you guys did with the top water, man. You, that's a tool that takes a fish out of its comfort zone and makes them go nuts. And uh, and burning a, a swim jig is, is the same thing. Speed definitely does that, too. But, uh, wait, man, what a great deal, man. Three three guys, three All-Americans. Uh, and and thanks so much, guys. I appreciate it. It was a blast ta- talking to you guys. And, and hang in if you guys want to. Uh, we've got Daniel Fennel coming with us, the man yeah. in charge, the director of the BFLs for Major League Fishing. We're going to take a quick break, and uh, we're going to bring uh, bring the director in. So you guys can air your beefs if you want, um, or uh, offer some suggestions, or you know, ask some questions about the All American. You know that you guys are all going to be participating in. I'm looking forward to uh, to talking to Daniel, and it was great for the Bass University to participate with them uh to sponsor the the our regional here in the northeast and uh it, it was it was a great event they did a great job for us and uh and we look forward to speaking to them so uh riz i don't see btc so i'm assuming you're in charge and uh pulling the strings over there so let, let's take a quick break and we'll be back with more bash university live moment on the water not spent fishing is a moment wasted. That's why Minkota and Humminbird have joined forces to bring you the One Boat Network. Products that communicate and integrate to help you take full command of your boat. Born from our commitment to making the most advanced fishing gear even better by making it work together. The One Boat Network will help you find, get to, stay on, and catch more fish. When One Boat Network products talk to each other, they can navigate your boat automatically. 
They can give you a crystal clear view of what's below with no messy wires. And they can let you lower, raise, and change shallow water anchor modes from anywhere on the boat. But that's just the beginning. We're never done innovating, integrating, and making your boat simpler and easier to control. All so you can make every second on the water count. Tackle Warehouse is proud to sponsor the FLW Pro Circuit and is the official tackle retailer of FLW. Providing proven bass fishing gear as well as the newest and hottest tackle. Our friendly and knowledgeable customer service staff can help you every step of the way. And we offer free ground shipping on orders over $50. Tackle Warehouse. Everything for the bass angler at the lowest prices. Guaranteed. I have to be constantly on the lookout for new techniques to stay on the top of my game. Giant. Some have been more giant. successful oh God, than others. Giant. The finesse fingernail. Happens every time. The chain gang. Oh ah, broke it off. The crow's nest. Never let go. And don't even get me started on tackle management, especially trying to stop rust and corrosion. Peanut butter. Mmm, that's good. Motor oil. Gotta keep the rust off all these baits. WD-40. Gotta keep the rust off. Silica, toothpicks, Q-tips, the list goes on and on. I'm hard on tackle, I fish fast, I need my tackle organized and protected. I can't be worrying about losing baits to rust. And when it comes to tackle management, there's only one solution. Flambo tackle storage systems with Z-Rust technology. The original anti-rust tackle box. Uncompromised clarity. Renowned durability. The infused anti-rust option that is FDA safe and free of harmful chemicals. The organization options are endless, but there's only one. One box, one anti-corrosion technology, one family-owned American-made brand, Flambo. Z-Rust Tackle Solutions. Preserve, perform, repeat.